Good morning. Good morning. So when we were leaving here last night, I was told to, uh, you know, not, not overdress. So I left my tux in the car. Uh, but then I came in the door, and Chris was like, dude, you're pushing my standards here. So sorry, but not sorry. So uh, I'm glad you're here today. Uh, my name is Philip, and uh, I, I want to just take a few words to, to uh, say before we start into the message proper. My wife, Teresa, is uh, right here in the front row. We're very, very glad to be here. In 48 days, we will have been married 28 years, and so we're very excited about that. Um, we do have seven kids. They range from 16 to uh, 35, and our 16-year-old Elise is right here in the middle of all these students and came and got to participate in your D now, so we're very thankful for all the hospitality, care, and friendship that's been extended to her. And then my wife's two best friends, they, they're so close, they have a common name. Like, they're not all named Teresa, but they have a common name. It, it, it's Julie and, and Christy and Teresa, but they're known collectively as the tripod. The tripod. And... Um, that whole verse about three strands and all that. So anyway, they came down from Fort Smith, Arkansas to just be with us. They're that kind of friends, and I'm very glad to, to be able to be here. And we lifted that up to students this weekend to say, hey, the people you choose to spend the time with most are going to affect you the most. You should be wise about those decisions. Um, Teresa and I have spent 30 years as local church pastors, 20 years as youth pastors um, from all, several different churches. And then uh, in 2008, we planted a brand new church in a growing area in South Fort Smith, and that church is still up and going now. My, the guy I hired as my associate pastor is now leading. And since October, we're doing this full-time, the chance to go out and minister and speak um, to a variety of places. And we've known John since he was about this tall. Um, uh, we met John when he was a freshman in college. We actually went in to do a team building retreat with his uh, scholarship class. And our, one of our daughters was, was a year ahead of him and was a mentor for that class. And so we've spent a lot of hours together doing lots of fun things. And then he would go out, you know, once he graduated and went off to an internship, I, he said, hey, come help me do some team building with this group. Okay, sure. And so, man, just a thrill to be here and working alongside John and all the rest of those who have invested in the students this weekend. So uh, let's pray together. Lord, your word is exactly that. It is yours, and it's your word. It, anything that's going to really change us is only going to come from you. It's only going to be sourced in you. It's only going to be given by you. It's only going to be confirmed by you, and it is your word. It is firm. It is set. It is sure. Who you are does not change. And so I ask that you would help us, Lord, as we read through passages of Scripture, as I tell some stories, we try to understand our faith and what it means and what it, what it directs us to be and do. I ask that you would be with us right now. I thank you for the privilege to be able to, to teach some things, but out of all the words I speak, I, I trust Holy Spirit, you and you alone to be the only one who can take out of all those words and all the thoughts that will float through the room, all the feelings we will have, and bury deeply in our hearts and minds what you know we most need next. And for those who need encouragement, may it be a great joy. For those who need rebuke, may they be open to correction. For those, Lord, who just need to be encouraged as they continue in their ministry journey, I ask that you would let that be tremendous. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Um, when I was in college the first time around, I was a voice major, voice vocal performance. And so when I was graduating, uh, I, I had this opportunity to go with a team that spent an entire summer uh, living out of a van, not necessarily down by the river, um, 
But we lived in a van, and we traveled from city to city to city, and then to several countries in Europe. And we had the opportunity, and we would we would sing songs and give testimonies and challenge people and share the gospel. And we did it in city parks and in front of city halls and in lots of churches. And 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 so my idea, my my definition and understanding of ministry. And I'd only been a Christian for a couple of years. I didn't come to Christ until I was twenty. If you'd like to hear more about that, feel free, because it was good Baptist kids like you guys are raising and encouraging and discipling that helped lead me to Christ, even when I was cussing them out as they tried to share the gospel with me. Uh, they stuck with it, and God stuck with me, and I had the privilege to be led to Christ. And so, in the midst of all that, my definition of ministry was pretty narrow. Now, I'm always sure I'm right. Just look at my wife to see which smirk style there would be. I'm always sure that I'm right, but... but I was young enough to really believe I was right, and my understanding of the definition of ministry is whatever talent God gave you, whatever capacity he gave you, whatever ability he gave you, if you could learn how to do that just perfectly, if you could perform exactly with great perfection, then that would move people's hearts, and then after I've done my part, it was almost like I would say, okay, God, now they're ready for you. Very arrogant, right? So if you, if you think, man, that's arrogant, just say, man, that's arrogant. Yeah, yeah, that was me. And, and, and I was a very new Christian, but I was convinced that ministry could happen. That part was good. That part was good. But there was, the, there was a very narrow definition. So as a voice major, I had this chance to go with this team that sang and all this. And so I, I got on a Greyhound bus in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I rode over to a foreign nation called Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And, uh, and it was like a dreamland for me because for 10 days, all we did was study the Bible and rehearse music and study the Bible and rehearse music. That was it. That was all we did. We memorized 40 songs and a bunch of scripture passages and we share testimonies and give each other critiques and get it perfect, perfect, perfect. And I was like, this is how it should be. And I was so excited to know that I was going to go out and perform perfectly. We were going to perform perfectly as a unit and people would be moved and then God would act. That was my understanding and my definition. We finished our training camp. We got in a van threw our stuff in the trailer, and drove to Cherokee, Iowa. And when we got to Cherokee, Iowa, we sang at a church on a Saturday night. And after we had sung, we all lined up out by our bus, and we're getting our luggage, and the, somebody from the church of the clipboard is like, um, names the name of one of the people on our team, or two or three people on our team, and then they'd name a host family. And so we'd go stay with those host families. So they called my name, they didn't call it with any other team members, just me. And then they called the name of this woman, and I look over, and she's kind of waving at me so I can see who's who and get my bags and start her way. And as I get over there, I notice she has a son. Uh, his name was Chad, and he was 10 years old. And so um, we go to her car, and we throw my bag in. She looks at me. She's like, are you hungry? I'm like, oh, yeah, man. And so we go to this little deli, a little diner in, in Cherokee, Iowa, and we have, you know, hamburger fries and a, and a malt. And so while we're sitting there talking, uh, she, well, while we're sitting there, she's not talking at all. She, she's not speaking. Her son is on the other end of the spectrum. Apparently, even without lungs, he could talk because he was just like, like, he's just constantly transmitting, right? How many of you have children like this? Good. How many of you have a spouse like it? Don't show it. Don't, don't, don't do it. Somebody was very excited in the middle of that. <laughs> um, and so he's talking, 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 and I'm just like, wow. And I didn't know God was setting me up for our firstborn daughter, but... That's a whole other story. And so he's talking and talking and talking. He's so excited. And he finally gets to this one point. And he's like, well, I'll, up until at least when my dad died. And there's this, it just the whole conversation comes to a halt. His mom's just pouring tears. And she stands up and walks out of the cafe. 
We could see her just outside. She's sobbing. I look up at him, and I, I don't know this boy really. I've just been hearing fun stories about him, and I just looked at him, and I said, Chad, if you want to talk, I'm glad to listen, but I know we don't know each other. If you want to just sit quietly and eat, that, that's fine. And he looked at me, and he said, well, I don't want to talk a lot about it, but since I blurted it out, I, I, my dad, you know, we own a big farm, and he was in a bad accident with this tractor, and, and he's been gone for a couple of months. And so I said, okay, I'm, I'm so sorry. And I, I don't know what to say, but I'm really sorry. And in that moment, what I realized was my definition of ministry was off. It was too small. I was not going to sing him a perfect song in the cafe, and, and God was going to move. I knew it was too small, but I, I hadn't learned, really. I, haven't, I was open. I was recognizing, but I didn't know what it was. And so his mom came in, paid the bill. We got in the car, drove to the house. She showed me to my room. She said, I'm really tired. I'm going to go on to bed. There's food in the fridge. Feel like you're at home. You can eat whatever's here. Uh, we need to leave about 7.45 in the morning to make it to the church for the early service. And in the, after, after saying that, she, she, I said, thank you. And I closed the door. I heard her go down the stairs and and then, like 10 seconds later, I hear pop, 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 pop at my door. And I'm like, oh, she must have forgotten to tell me something. So I open the door, and, and there's Chad. Two baseball gloves, a baseball, a wiffle ball, a wiffle bat, a baseball bat, a frisbee disc, and a kickball. And he's like, you want to go play? <laughs> I was tired, man. We'd only slept like three, four, five hours a night during that 10 days. And, and I, so really in my emotional state, I was, you know, inside my head, I was thinking, no, I do not want to go outside and smell the beautiful pig air <laughs> and battle the, 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 the giant gnats to play. But I'm looking at this boy and knowing what they've been through and I, there's no way I'm saying no. And so I said, yeah, Chad, give me just a second. You, you go downstairs, I'll, I'll meet you by the door and I'll just throw some shorts and a t-shirt on. He's like, okay. So I close the door. I get changed in the shorts, t-shirt, some tennis shoes, and I open the door, and he's still just standing there. <laughs> and uh, he said, yeah. So what do you want to do first? And I was like, I don't know. What do you want to do first? And he's like, well, let's go outside. I was way downstairs. He drops all the stuff, and he picks his glove, these two gloves up, and he goes, hey, this, this is my dad's. So let's throw the ball. So I put the glove on, we throw the ball back and forth, we play wiffle ball with ghost runners. Anybody ever play with ghost runners because you didn't have enough siblings? Um, <laughs> we played tag, we threw a frisbee, we ran all over the place, we jumped in, in, in a bunch of hay bales out of the, you know, off of, off of the, out of the barn, and, and then finally it, it started to get dark and we, we went to, over to where he had a swing, and we're sitting on the swings, and it's, it's still hot, but we're kind of you know, drying the sweat off, and, and he, his swing comes to a stop. So I stopped mine and I looked at him. He's like, man, thanks so much for playing with me. And I said, Chad, it's been great. I've really enjoyed it. And he said, you know, our church has been fantastic. They brought so much food, so many cookies. So many men and women from our church have kept, they just keep showing up and they've helped us keep the farm going. But nobody's just been out to play with me since my dad died. And in that moment was this recognition that even though I didn't know all of it, what I knew was ministry was much wider than perfect performance of our talents and skills. Ministry was meeting people's needs wherever they might be. So crucial for us to see that, to understand that, that ministry is meeting the needs of people, whatever those needs might be. In this weekend, your church has made some very serious and beautiful investments in the students of this community, of this church. We've had a great time together, yes? No? Yeah. Woo! Woo! 
Okay, it's good seeing you guys. So. <laughs> Have we had a good time or not? Okay, good. So we've had a joyful time, and, and, but a lot of you didn't get to be here, right? Some of you braved it and hung out there with students at, in your homes, but a bunch of you didn't get to be here. So quick review, here we go. The theme for this year's D-Now is this, base camp. It's base camp. And if you've never done mountaineering, then you might not have ever been to a base camp. But what we said is spiritually, as a Christian, our base camp is really built on two words. I'm going to let them tell you, and then we're all going to say it together. One, two, three. I believe. I believe. So let's all say that together. One, two, three. I believe. That's where we enter the base camp. That's where we become part of the kingdom of God. That's where we become part of the living church around the world. It's when we say, I believe. And we studied what we believe. We talked about what, we, what the Bible tells us we should believe about humanity and, and about God and about the Bible. And, and, and in a, one of their in-home group sessions, uh, I don't know who works on the website or pays attention to your website, but they use your website to go to the part that says what we believe and, and studied through those passages of Scripture. And, and so it's, I believe, and that's how we come into the camp. But once we're in the camp, then we, we're part of the camp. Now I'm an adventurer. I'm actually here. I am. So the first two words were I believe, but last night we talked about our identity in Christ. What does it mean when we are in Christ? And those two words were one, two, three. And so say those with me, one, two, three. I am. It's our identity. And what we said was we are Christians even if we don't know all the books of the Bible. We are Christians even if we don't know the date on which we will enter into the presence of Jesus. We are Christians even if we're not very good at being Christians yet. We have that identity and it is rock solid. So we come into base camp by saying, I believe. And once we're there, we belong there. So we say, I am. Will you say all four words together? Everybody, one, two, three. I believe I am. Now that's what we've done so far. We've studied lots of passages that talk about when that identity's there. God always acts first and how do we respond? And we studied Ephesians 4 that tells us that part of how we respond is to say, no, 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 no. We get rid of and reject and throw away a bunch of stuff that God tells us to. And then another part of Ephesians 4, here's the stuff we should take on. Here's the stuff we should do. Here's the things we should mimic. Even if I'm not good at it yet, I got to practice. And so we have this truth, I believe, which leads to I am we have two last words to finish this weekend together, and the words are a minister. I believe I am a minister. So what does it mean to be a minister when we have faith in Christ? First, I would point out that minister is a title that is properly applied to every person on the planet who has ever said, I believe Jesus Christ is my Savior. Okay, it, it is not just a title reserved for vocational pastors or seminary trained people. Your church believes this. Your church prominently speaks of all members, all disciples of Jesus Christ being ministers. Now I'm just gonna tell you that there's a lot of churches that might have that crocheted on a wall in a lobby, but they don't live it. And I'll tell you a couple of things that happen. The church is not healthy. The ministries are very self-centered and there's way too much pressure on the people who are the paid leaders of the church. But when the church does not just put it in crochet on the wall and paint it on the wall, but they believe it and they practice it, then things happen the way God intended, that we're in line with. It's, it's, it's paddling downstream instead of upstream. It's being lined up with how he designed things. So what is ministry? Well, ministry is meeting people's needs. And meeting needs, not just once. Your cell phone is not a need. I know I say that, and then like some of you are like... <gasps> And like you hug it a little tighter and check and make sure it's still working and see what message you just got. 
But it's not a need. We need Jesus. We need shelter. We need food. We need friendship and care of other people. And so God defines needs, and when we meet those needs, we meet them in the way God tells us to do them, following the model of Jesus, and we meet them in a way that draws attention to Jesus and not me as the servant. Those needs vary a whole lot. They could include playing tag with a kid on a farm in Iowa. They could go as far as giving up a whole lifestyle in order to move to a foreign country and do missions, and there's a zillion chances in between. Ministry can happen and does happen in so many directions and so many ways. Let's, let's define that a little bit and look at some passages of Scripture. The first is there's, there's two directions that we minister. One is to other believers, to other people who are followers of Jesus Christ. And Hebrews 6.10 talks about this. says, God's not unjust. He will not forget your work. He's good to you. He's, gonna, he's paying attention. He's keeping records. The, the love you have shown him as you have helped who? Help me for these next two words. You've helped his people, the ones that he's claimed as his own, called his own, and continue to help him. So there's this picture of a pattern of ministering to each other. And then there's Galatians 6.10. It says, hey, look, as we have the opportunity, let's do good to all people. So it's this encompassing picture of ministry to everybody, comma, and a very important word. And what is the word? Comma, especially. Especially to those who belong to the family of believers, those who are fellow Christians, I just, want to, I just want to point this out because I think a lot of people are like, yeah, pastors want the church to really look good and be good and everybody to be happy. And what I'm going to tell you is, yeah, God wants that. <laughs> Our culture is, is cutthroat and live for myself. The church should never look like that. It should be a fantastic family, and our first priority is to take care of each other, fellow believers, and when we do that, and it's fantastic, and and the relationships are healthy, and we give a rip about each other, and we show up for each other, people in the world will see that along the way and go, I want some of that. It is a draw into the church when we just do church right, when we live in right relationship with each other. So we minister to, to those who are our fellow believers. In the other direction, we minister to people who are not believers, people who have not come to know Jesus Christ Yeah, we, we minister to people who are not believers. And in Isaiah chapter 58, um, the Old Testament has a lot of uh, rhetorical questions. Instead of saying, hey, will you wash your clothes? The Old Testament's more like, shall thou not wash thou clothes, right? That's, that's the gist. So what it's saying is, you, you should be doing this. And so it's not this a kind of fasting. Some of you are like, wait, I thought we were talking about ministry. What, not fast? Fasting's when I give something of mine up so that I can pick up something God wants me to do. So these are still actions of ministry. To lose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free, and break every yoke. Fantastic. I wish I had 12 years to teach it to you. We could, we could dig into it forever, but I want to tell you that the bottom line here is when we... We bring the gospel into the lives of other people through Christ. God sets them free. He moves them from spiritual slavery to sin into spiritual freedom in Christ. And then the next verse, is it not, you should, right, share your food with the hungry, provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Those are needs. Those are needs. You can have lots of your wants, that's fine, but these needs and meeting them is so crucial. Romans chapter 10, verse 14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? This is a moment where a believer's talking to other believers saying, talking about people who are not believers yet. 
And so he says, how, how can they believe in the one, God, of whom they've not heard? If they don't know the truth, if they don't encounter the gospel, they can't respond to the gospel. And so how can they hear without someone preaching to them? That's your job. It's not the job of somebody who has reverend or pastor or brother in front of their name. It is the job of every single follower of Jesus. Now, I can teach forever and a day. I love to teach the scripture. That's how God designed me. I'm hardwired that way. I'm a very shy evangelist. <laughs> like, I'm not very good at it, and I have to go, okay, here we go. And it's so very important for us to do exactly that. So we, we minister to, to be, be fellow believers and to people who are not yet believers. We minister to several different types of needs. We've kind of touched on it with a couple of verses, but the first thing is we meet people's physical needs. We minister to their physical needs. And those, there's all kinds of those. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is talking to a whole group of people, and, and he says, hey, I was hungry, you fed me. Thirsty, you gave me something to drink. Stranger, you invited me in. In verse 36, he says, I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to see me. This is like an echo of that Isaiah 58 passage, right? It's this picture that there are very real, practical, basic needs, and meeting them is part of how ministry happens. We also minister to people's emotional needs. Now, let me just see where my people are. Feelings. Thinking. Right? If you have to pick between feeling it and thinking it, if you, if you believe facts are facts and they're facts for a reason, we just raise your hand so I'll know that you're my people. Yeah, very good. For those of you who are very mushy and feely, we just raise your hand along with my wife. Thank you. It's okay that you're that way. It is so important for us to understand that there are emotional needs of people, and some of us, I think, would kind of blow this off. They should just grow up. And yet the scripture calls us to minister to people who have emotional needs. First Thessalonians chapter five, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. They've got some attitudinal issues. Encourage the disheartened, the people who've had their heart pulled out of them by something. Help the weak. Be patient, Philip, with everyone. Be patient. There's these emotional needs, so we meet physical needs, we meet emotional needs, and then we're called to meet spiritual needs. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we have a great promise that says, hey, you know what? We've been made one with Christ, and this is fantastic. And then verse 18, it says, all this is from God. God's the one who acts first. God's the one who saves. God's the one who convicts us of our sin. He reconciled us to himself. He fixed a relationship between us and him. And then he gave us, now notice this is not addressed to only professional pastors with 38 years of ministry or more. It's to all Christians. He gave us the what? Say the words with me. The ministry of reconciliation. And some of you are like, I can't reconcile people to God. Right. You can say out loud with your mouth how great Jesus is and how important it is that we understand and follow him. You, you can show up to meet physical needs and emotional needs. And a lot of times you've got to meet those before you ever get the chance to meet spiritual needs. And so we minister to, in different directions. We minister to different needs. Being a minister is not an optional endeavor. It is not reserved for super Christians. If you're a super Christian, you raise your hand because I don't know what that looks like. Um, it's not just, if you're young, it's not just reserved for old people. Right? There's very direct passages that talk about us using our whole life 
to minister, not just our late life. It's not just reserved for being a minister. is not just reserved for missionaries and pastors and seminary trained people. Every single Christian is called to be a minister. Now, this is the part where if I had 12 hours to preach, we would study about 38 passages and I'm just going to like bullet train these. All right. So if you're taking notes, you lick your pencil, be ready because it's going to go fast. Every Christian's meant to be a minister. Ephesians 2.10 says we're created for ministry. Like, you wouldn't live if God didn't intend to use you for ministry. And in Galatians 4 and 1 Peter 2, we're called to ministry because we are followers of Jesus. As soon as you said, I believe, God said, you're a minister, get to work. We may not know how yet. We may be struggling with understanding where and yet we're called to it. First Peter chapter four says that we're gifted for ministry. So all your life experience, your professional experience, your education, your intellect, your talents, your abilities, your personality, those are meant by God to be put in you as gifts that should then be poured out into the lives of others. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, I authorize you for ministry. He says, everything's mine. And by the way, you guys are ministers. Don't forget it, keep it up. And he gives them what we call the great commission. That's true for every single believer. Matthew 25 records the parable of the talents, and it says we're accountable for ministry. That what God put in you, if you're keeping it to yourself, burying it in the ground, not using it, that's not good news. So some of you are like, well, I don't feel like I'm really great at ministry, but I sure don't want to mess it up. Like the rule keepers in the room, this is a great passage. Okay, yes, sir, I'll go do it. And then Colossians 3 and Matthew 25 are mind-blowing to me. When I breathe my last breath and I'm in the presence of Jesus, that's all the reward I'm thinking I'm ever going to want or need. But somehow in Colossians 3 and Matthew 25, there's passages that say when you get to heaven, when you've been really faithful in ministry, God will reward you. I'm like, what more reward is there? And yet, God's perfect and there's always more. He's so good and then there's always more. Have you ever wondered about why it is that several, several passages of scripture have holy, holy, holy? Holy, holy, holy. Have you ever been in a church service where you sang holy, 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 holy? There's this guy, David Baroni, who's a worship leader, and he was taught, he, we were singing a song like that, and he kind of knows everybody was just like, holy, 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 like a kind of, you know, basic, boring. And he's like, whoa, 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 hold on, stop. He just stopped playing, stood up from the piano, and he's like, do you know why we say this? Because when you get to heaven, God is so fantastic, he is so great that you're going to get there and go, holy. And like, Half of a millisecond later, you're going to see another piece of who he is and go, holy. And then you're going to look and go, he's holy. And oh my gosh, this is holy. And the place is holy. And his son is holy. And all the elders are throwing all their crowns, all the rewards he gave them. They're like, yeah, thanks. They're Jesus's. And holy, holy, holy. There's never going to be a second in heaven where you're going to sit back in a lawn chair with a Fanta and go, yeah, I'm pretty sure I know what's going on around here. There's always going to be more. God's perfect, and he says there will be more. And that's what is so exciting about being able to say, I believe I am a minister. I believe I am a minister. Say it with me, one, two, three. I believe I am a minister. Theology, what we believe, I know a lot of people who are Christians are like, yeah, the whole theology thing, I don't think, I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Every single person on the planet is a theologian because they believe some stuff. If you, don't, if you don't believe me, ask them an opinion. There, there you go. We're, we're off into theology. Theology is the part of our, of our uh, faith. One famous guy a long, long time ago who's long dead said, it's the part of our faith that requires our brains. And so what we believe leads us then to an identity. I believe him and oh, now I'm his. 
And that identity then leads us, it includes in it the reality that we are ministers and must minister and must learn how to and go practice. God's call to use our lives and everything he's already put in us and put life and ministry into other people. So theology, identity, ministry, I believe, I am a minister. Now, I'm not looking for a pep rally. I don't need anybody shouting. I want you to say it with conviction one more time right now. One, two, three. I believe I am a minister. Your church enjoys the chance to help you learn your gifts and figure out what ministries are already available or help you take your gifts and plow them into new areas of ministry. And if you don't believe me, go ask them. It's good here. It's a healthy church. Find ways to intersect with those who can train and teach you how to be great in ministry. And then what you're doing is you're living out this incredible passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Ephesians 4, 11 says, Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Now, a bunch of you are like, whoa, I'm not any of those. Well, you might have giftings that are in that category, even if you don't have a title of some sort. This is leaders in the church. That, that's correct. You're reading that right. All right. So he gave them responsibility to do what? Say the word with me, to equip. Say it one more time, to equip. Supposed to get you ready, train you, help you. To equip his people, all believers, for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So everybody who leads a department, a ministry, every pastor, every evangelist, every teacher, anybody who has a mantle of leadership in the church and the kingdom of God around the world, they have one job, really. You got one job. Get it right. Train, encourage, minister to, take care of, challenge, rebuke, correct, help, equip all the people who are believers to get out there and do ministry in a tremendous way. In a tremendous way. Those last two words, a minister, are a picture of us having been in base camp leaving base camp to go on the adventure of ministry, to risk it, to sacrifice, to give and serve. We've been talking about base camp, and just real briefly, I want to touch on this idea of acclimatization. Raise your hand if you've ever heard the word acclimatization. Yeah. Um, Zach's running the screens, and I said, are you familiar with that? He's like, I'm from Colorado. (laughs) Enough said. Acclimatization is this idea that your body has to learn to adapt to the new environment where you are. And so you can't just run to the top of the mountains. You know, and I don't, I'm not talking about weekend warriors with, with harnesses and a couple of ropes on, and a ravine. I'm talking about climbing the highest mountains in the world. And so what they do is they go to base camp. And when they get to base camp, it's set at an altitude where I can operate and practice and train without being without oxygen. Like it's below the line where there's so little oxygen that your body is, is wearing down even if you're not really working hard. So you go to base camp, you get used to it. Then the next thing you do is you start climbing. Your team goes out and you climb to the next altitude and you get up there and you feel the temperature and the lack of oxygen for a day or two or three. You set up some tents and leave some equipment plant a couple of flags, and then you come back to base camp. And you rest, and you make decisions, and you, and you gather your equipment, and, you, and you, you, you take on all the calories you need and re- refill your oxygen tanks, and then you go from there, and you go up a couple, you go climbing again. And you go up past where you were before, and you go even higher. So then you're at the second, you know, the, the, the tertiary camp, and then you come back to the secondary camp, and then you come back to base camp. Now here's the long and short of it. If you go to base camp, stay a day or two, and try to hit the top of that mountain, you will not make it. You will at least experience edema. You will at least experience some serious physiological effects. The point is, base camp, stretch a bit, 
base camp, stretch a bit, base camp, stretch a bit. And when it's time to go home, guess where you go first? Base camp. And for us as Christians, it's the church, it's the body of Christ, it's youth ministry, it's small groups. We come back and we're trained and we're helped and if we're injured, we get fixed and and there's so much that happens. And so stay engaged in the base camp. I believe I am a minister. So very important for us. And when you do it, when when you take that stretching challenge and you reach out, you can have a lasting impact on the lives of people around you, even though sometimes it doesn't look like it very much. Our, our daughter and son-in-law came over from Dallas to be here last night in the service. They've, they've gone back to be at their home church this morning over in Waxahachie, but we were talking last night, and man, he came to tears because he's got a brother that's just really off track, and he was talking about how he's in church, and their church is preaching about family, and he's like, oh my gosh, I just want his marriage to be great, and his parenting to be better, and, and so he felt really burdened for him, and he's up in Arkansas, so he called him and talked with him and trying to encourage him, and he just wasn't seeing any response from his brother at all. And, and we just looked at him and said, you are totally on track. It's not your job to make him act. It's your job to act. And he did. And that's what we have to do. And when you do, you can have a lasting impact whether you recognize it or not. There was a, uh, a woman named Miss Thompson. She's an elementary school teacher, and at the beginning of every school year, she'd gather her kids on the first day, and she would tell them, I love you all the same, boys and girls. There's no favorites. Now, raise your hand if you know that's not 100% true. We have favorites. We're human beings. We also have some people we don't like very much. Maybe it's because they're very much like us, and we don't like seeing our own errors throwing back at us. But she was in a place where Teddy Stollard was the one that she didn't like very much. And there were reasons for it. He wasn't really interested in school. He always kind of had a deadpan look. Whenever she tried to engage him in the work, he just kind of shrugged his shoulders. And so his clothes were always messy. His hair was never done. He just wasn't very likable. And so she kind of got out of hand at times and you know, got a little flourish with the red pen when she'd mark things wrong. And so to make a long story short, she should have known better because she had his school records. His folder said, first grade, Teddy shows promise with his work and his attitude, but he has a poor home situation. Second grade, Teddy could do better. His mother's seriously ill. He receives very little help at home. Third grade, Teddy's a good boy, but he's too serious. He's a slow learner. His mother died this year. Fourth grade, Teddy's very slow, but well-behaved overall. His father shows no interest. So at Christmas, all the kids in Ms. Thompson's class brought her gifts And after they had gone to lunch that day, they came back and everybody gathered around and there were all the gifts. And in the midst of that was this brown paper sack that had kind of been wadded around something and and tons of tape put on it. And it said to Miss Thompson from Teddy. She was kind of surprised he had even brought anything. About halfway through opening all the presents with the kids gathered around her desk, she opened up that paper and this this really gaudy bracelet fell out and half the stones had fallen out of it. And and there was a half-used bottle of perfume that fell out and the kids were kind of you know, smirking and, and snickering and laughing at him. And so she caught that and was like, that's not okay. She put on the bracelet. She dabbed on just a little bit of, of the perfume. And she's like, oh, boys and girls, doesn't that smell really good? And they all kind of followed her cue. And they said, oh, yeah, ooh, ah. And after all the kids left that day, he went up to her after lingering behind. And he said, Miss Thompson, Miss Thompson, you, you smell like my mom. And her bracelet looks really pretty on you. And I'm glad you liked it. 
When Teddy left the classroom that day, his mother was absolutely convicted and went to her knees and prayed and asked God's forgiveness. When the kids came back the next day, it was like having a brand new teacher. She was reinvigorated. What she had decided was she wasn't just a teacher. She was a teacher who was an agent of God. And so she helped everybody, but especially the slower kids, and very especially that year, Teddy Stollard. And by the end of the school year, he had caught up with almost everybody, and he had actually passed a few. He wasn't the lowest in the class. But just like you might expect, with, very naturally, when he finished that year, she didn't hear from him for a while. But some years went by, and she got a note in the mail that said, Dear Ms. Thompson, I want you to be the first to know I'm graduating second in my high school class. Love, Teddy Stollard. Four years later, she got another note that said, Dear Ms. Thompson, they just told me I'll be graduating first in my class. I wanted you to be the first to know that the university's not been easy, but it's been a good four years. Love, Teddy Stollard. Another four years later, dear Ms. Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore Thompson, MD. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know that I'm getting married next month, the 27th to be exact. I want you to come and sit where my mother would have sat if she was still with me. You're the only family I have now because my dad passed away last year. Love, Teddy Stollard. And Ms. Thompson did go to that wedding and she did sit where his mother would have sat. She deserved to be there. She had invested in him, cared for him, ministered to him, and it had a lasting impact even though she didn't know it for a long time. Don't trust results. Trust faithfulness. Don't worry with the results. Worry with what, doing what God has called us to do. We also can become agents of God. Whatever your job is, wherever you spend the majority of your days, you're a follower of Jesus, if you believe, then you are a minister. Do it to the very best ability where you are. One time with me, all six words to finish this. Say it with confidence. Say it with conviction. Hear yourself say it. Let God's spirit bring it to you deeply in you. One, two, three. I believe I am a minister. Let's pray together. Lord, you are perfect in every single way. There is no fault in you, no lack. There is nothing, Lord God, that would uh, ever forestall your will, your heart poured out to us. Lord God, we believe you. We believe in you as the creator of all things. We believe in your son as our savior. We believe in your spirit as the one who resides within every single believer to convict us of our sins so we can confess it and be done with it, that, that it lives within us to give us the power to live a Christ-centered life of ministry. Lord God, we have identity in you, even if we don't know all the right answers yet. Help us own that heart for ministry and let us own that calling to it. Help us to be great ministers wherever you call us to be. I ask this, that you bless this church in incredible ways. I thank you for all the people in Fort Smith at New Life Church that are praying for, for this congregation, everybody gathered here, and I pray that all the services there this morning have been fantastic as well. We ask that you would help us to walk with great confidence in our whole life to be able to say, I believe I am a minister. Help us live it well in Christ's name.